When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, recording here Monday, about 6 o'clock. Here's a plan. We are going to talk about the Patriots losing a 6-0 game to the Chargers on Sunday. I am going to bring you the good, the bad, what would NFL Films say? We need to talk, mailbag, all the usual segments. But I don't think you need me to explain much about a 6-0 loss. A loss that dropped the Patriots down to levels of offensive futility. That in NFL history, there are two teams in the last 85 years to allow 10 points in three straight games and lose all of them. The other team is extinct. Those are the Chicago Cardinals, uh, which I'm sure you've heard by now because it has been a long 24, 30, whatever it's going to be number of hours by the time that you hear this episode of the Pats Interference Podcast brought to you by FanDuel, exclusive wagering part of the CLNS Media Network. But I want to get to what you want to know because here at 2 and 10, honestly, it's dealer's choice. And I will tell you, this will be a first. We have a mailbag question from Aaron. Asking, can I pick a new team? Asking for a friend, of course. You got you to give yourself some cover. And I think it's only temporary from Aaron. I'm going to give her the benefit of the doubt. But that's where we are. And so I'm going to answer virtually every question that I got. We set a record, over 20 uh, on Twitter. I didn't post on threads. So I'm posting more on threads. If you're on threads, please find me. And we're going to get to that. And I'm going to speed through the football. Because, again, you, you don't need a whole lot of my help to digest what happened. I do have a ton of notes and stats and diagrams, as you always find them. At Film Review, go to thebostonherald.com. Please read that. Uh, but the real place I want to start is the most interesting place from Sunday. Because it was not on the field. It was in the locker room. When I was sitting next to Devon Gottschow for 10 minutes, and he had his feet. I kid you not. It was one of these yellow ice buckets that used to see the janitors in school drag around with a mop mop bucket instead he had filled it with ice put both of his feet in there it's giant legs 330 something pound man and it's just sitting there say hey can i bug you because he and i chat fairly frequently in the locker room reporters are in there you know standard week play on a sunday wednesday thursday and friday a lot about lsu college football doesn't matter so he and i chat for 10 minutes and after games like this or other scenarios i'll tell you my approach as a reporter often is look i have to write about this I'm probably going to talk about this on TV or the radio. Like, set me straight. What happened here? What did it feel like? I don't know what it's like to be Devon Gachow. Tell me what it was like being Devon Gachow in a game where you hold the Chargers to 29 yards rushing, 
You hold them to six points. You are facing one of the best quarterbacks in the league. You guys are controlling the game, and yet you can't control it well enough to win because you need to score points to win a football game. I'm not that animated, obviously, but just telling him, look, I'm not. The, the quote I used, kid you not, was I'm not trying to stir shit. And so he goes on, and he's honest with me in a way that if I was a fan, I would want to know exactly how these players feel because at home sitting on my couch, hopefully you had a beer or two. I'd be pissed too. Two and ten. And somehow it feels worse than this. And so instead of bringing back a podcast classic of Andrew sits alone, talks to himself, and drinks alone, um, we're going to have Andrew sits by himself and reads his own work to himself, obviously for you. Because this is what God Chow said. And these are some of the most revealing quotes that I saw all week, that I've seen all season. And it's not a credit to me. It's a credit to a guy secure enough in his standing on the team and in the league to speak some truth. And I'll be honest. They read pretty poorly. I mean, they are. They're not great. But he said it in a jovial tone that he was being honest of like, this is the reality. There's no need to hide from it. I don't need to build a wall of cliches and poke my head out and go, yeah, everything's fine. Like that gift that we all probably tweeted or referenced. I know I did on Sunday watching that game. And here's what Devon Gacho said about the offense and losing that game. Because this, this is the most important, interesting part right now at 2 and 10. Quote, it's frustrating. It's frustrating. I'm not going to sit up here and say, quote, you know, I still believe, end quote. It's fucking frustrating. Anybody can tell you that. You know, I thought Zappi made some good throws today. I thought there was a couple balls we could have caught as receivers. And those guys would tell you the same thing too. They can take accountability. We all got fucked up shit we all messed up on. But the margin of error in this league is so small. Like Taekwon had the guy beat by three steps. And we've got to make those catches. The margin of error is so small, man. I still think Taekwon's got a bright future. He's a really, really talented guy. But the margin for error in this league is so small, man. One opportunity that you let slip, like we really didn't get another opportunity to throw another deep ball. DP, Vontae Parker, had one, but he ended up being out of bounds. I'm sad we didn't get it done, man. I don't even remember if we won a home game against Buffalo. That's probably the only one. It's sad that we didn't give the fans what they want to win because I think we're a playoff team. But our record doesn't show that. We're a 2-10 and team, and it's just frustrating. But no one's going to feel sorry for us. So we pause. Again, it's a 10-minute conversation. I'm going to give you these quotes. Because if you haven't read them yet, you deserve to know exactly how it was said, how I went up to him, and how it sounded coming from someone on this defense that, again, is experiencing something that no one alive in the NFL right now, Bill Belichick included, has ever seen. 85 years since those Chicago Cardinals. I told him, hey, next week, because he mentioned he's excited to go play in Pittsburgh. It's a great environment. He said, you know, Trubisky is actually probably going to start for you because uh, – or start against you. Can he pick a turn? He goes, he interrupts me. He goes, quote, it don't matter. We got to score and we got to win. We could get goddamn me at quarterback. We still got to win. But it's frustrating, man. I won't even sit up there and lie to you and tell you it's not. Obviously, you guys have been here longer than me watching Patriots games. Games. This is very frustrating. I cut the quote off here because he goes on talking about the dynasty in two decades and everyone loves to, you know, punk the Patriots and yada, yada. It's in the story. Full body, full context. Everything that he told me on the record. And the dismount is this, because we talked more about other things, and I brought it back to Pittsburgh, looking ahead, what can you do? And this is what he told me. Quote, it's going to be very interesting. They have a lot of good players up front. We've got some good players up front. It's going to be interesting. We've just got to get after them. Like I said, we can't even afford to let them kick a field goal. We've got to hold them to zero. It's going to be interesting next week. I'm just excited to see whoever's a quarterback to see him keep getting better and better and try to put up some points on the board next week and just give us a chance. That, ladies and gentlemen, again, is where we are 
at two and ten with this Patriots team. The you lucky we ass edition of an NFL team, which is somehow so far in the rear view because there has been just so much ass that we've seen on the football field at Gillette Stadium since. You forget Jamal Peppers had the quote of the NFL season moving forward. On God Show, this is the second straight week a player has been open about their feelings about being two and ten, and specifically on defense. Okay, and that's not a crime. This is not a bad thing. Again, this is something I would imagine you at home want to know exactly what they feel instead of getting the same old tired BS at the podium. But <laughs> this, in those quotes, is absolutely a violation of Belichick's longstanding media policy of treating reporters, as the old saying goes, like mushrooms. Keep them in the dark and feed them shit. And Adrian Phillips, to me, in New York, just about a week and a half ago, said the same thing. We got to hold them to zero. If three points... 10 points is enough. We got to hold him to zero. Devon Gottschow repeats the same sentiment with a smile because that's his life. And we have gone through, we, the Patriots defense has gone through the stages of grief faster than I've seen any kind of team. Because I'll tell you, in that locker room, it wasn't a circus or a carnival or any kind of happy event you might find yourself at. But guys were smiling. They were joking. They know they had done their jobs. The mantra that defines this franchise, and it wasn't good enough. So what do you do with that? You don't sit with it and sink into it. You just go, well, on to the next. And, and you be honest about things. Even if you know this is going to get you dragged into Belichick's office probably here Monday today, a veteran reporter who I will not, I will not name texted me to say, nice work. Um, too bad he's going to be cut tomorrow. Because I'll be honest, Belichick has gotten a lot more angry and threatened players over a lot less. Anyway, none of this, as I said, is a crime. But it makes you wonder, as I wrote about in my column, naturally bashing a team that lost 6 nothing and has scored 26 points in the last three weeks and lost all of those games, uh, 23, actually. What comes next? Because we have a long five weeks to go. At Pittsburgh on Thursday. Kansas City after that. On Sunday, if you hadn't heard, instead of Monday night, first team ever to have a home game flexed from Monday Night Football to 1 o'clock in a regional slot on Sunday. Then you have at Denver on Christmas Eve, at Buffalo New Year's Eve, and here come the Jets. Not with Aaron Rodgers, because of course the man was never going to come back. He just wanted his name in the headlines. And that's the Patriots' path forward. So who else is going to say something new? Because you've heard me say this many times before. I'm here for the intersection of the football and the interesting. I don't need guys to make splashy headlines like that quote did. And did for the story at the Herald. I just want to know how you feel. Because I know you at home want to know how they feel. And obviously after 6 nothing, after a historic loss, a historic stretch, that I think you deserve that. If you're investing in this team with your time and your energy and your money, though frankly it costs apparently 5 bucks to get into the game if you looked at SeatGeek at the right time uh, before kickoff. And guys are finally telling it to you. And I think that's a good thing. I think it's a terrible way to get to this point. But hey, you might get even more down the stretch or it could get much worse depending on how Belichick re uh, reacts and responds which if the podium is any indication, this man is going down the same way he's always gone down, which is just being stubborn in himself. So it used to be that the Patriots played their best football after Thanksgiving. Well, I'm here to tell you, we don't have to wait for turkey and mashed potatoes and football for you to win and place your best bets of the year with FanDuel America's number one sports book because right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's 150 bucks with a single bet if the team that you pick wins. So if you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, I'm telling you, there's no better time than now to get in on the action. The app is super easy to use. I do it all the time. 
There's a wide range of options too. If you don't like betting options like the money line, that's for me. If it's not for you, go for point spreads, player props, over-unders, and tons more. Just visit FanDuel.com Boston and get your winning in the NFL season, no matter what the Patriots do. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. Must be 21 year older and present in Massachusetts. Hope is here. First online real money wager only. $5 pregame money line wager is required. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as is a non withdrawable bonus bet that expires seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling helpline ma.org. Call 800 327 5050 for 24-7 support. Play it smart from the start. GameSenseMA.com or call 1 800 GAM 1234. But moving on to the good. We're going to do the good, the bad. We need to talk NFL films. I promise you that segment is going to be very short this week. And then, as I promised, your mailbag questions. Um, and aside, <laughs> because this wouldn't be a past interference episode if I told you we were going to do something and I went in a different direction. But very quickly, I want to say thank you to everyone who submitted a question this week. Because I don't know what it is about my listenership, but you guys really deliver on that front. Like, I always think... And this is just how sports talk radio has been done forever, that when you take callers, it's great to engage with your audience. But I don't remember a call in my lifetime listening to sports radio where I was like, yeah, wow, John in uh, Swampscott really made a great point, right? Like you're, you're, you're outsourcing the content when you take calls, okay? I do this because I want to hear from you and I want to be able to give you some answers. I don't have high hopes, honestly, for a lot of these mailback questions when people come up with new, but you guys deliver every single goddamn week. And I am very thankful for that. Even if Thanksgiving was now what two weeks away, we can all be grateful every single day. I try to be. And today I'm telling you, thank you. Okay, the good. Also thankful for this because amid the six nothing muck, we had some bright points. Bullet point number one, uh, man coverage for the Patriots. I was worried. You heard me talk about this. JC Jackson bombed against the Giants, against Tommy DeVito. And yet, that man did not allow a single catch in man coverage to Keenan Allen, and neither did Jonathan Jones. Miles Bryant started the game with a pass breakup, working against Keenan Allen, who the Patriots were, frankly, I don't want to say unafraid of. They have a lot of respect in that locker room for Keenan Allen. This goes back, hell, five, closing out six years. I remember doing a piece in 2018, asking guys like Steph Gilmore, peak of his powers, soon to be defensive player of the year the next season, like, who's a guy who's underrated, who's really, really good? He said Keenan Allen. Deron Harmon said Keenan Allen. Devin McCourty said Keenan Allen. And I get that Keenan Allen's now 31. But the Patriots manned up, him, manned up on him in a way that was unexpected for me. And they delivered in a way that shocked me. Justin Herbert against man coverage, 5 of 14 for 70 yards, according to my charting. Nice work in the back end. Uh, in the middle, Mac Wilson. One pressure, one pass breakup, 28 snaps. Very well done. Christian Barmore, we're still beating the drum. The man is a monster in the middle. Now, I only had him down for one pressure. Like, oh, this isn't that great of a game. Mind you, the Chargers, for the first time uh, this season, really wanted to run the ball, even though they stink at it. And so he had a lot of dirty work to do with a depleted defensive line missing Dietrich Wise. He did that dirty work and then some. And had, I want to say, three reps at least where he – beats a single block and gets within an inch of a run stuff or a pressure in a way that I would be saying, oh, he had three quarterback hits in an extra hurry. He didn't, but he came that close. And those wins will go down positively when he gets graded by the coaches probably today. Uh, so want to highlight him. Lastly, run defense. Again, the Chargers are historically futile when it comes to their success rate 
running the ball? Are you just getting 40% of the yards you need on first down, 60 on second down? And then are you converting if you get to third and fourth down? That's success rate. That's all it is. Very simple. Are you staying on schedule? They are as late as I've always been turning in papers in school and uh, frankly, articles on deadline this Thursday night is going to be uh, a little while for me in Pittsburgh. Anyway, the Patriots still have them to 29 total yards on the ground. And I don't care if you're facing these chargers or any other team in the league, that's a good day at the office for that defensive front. The bad will go quick uh, pass protection, uh, five sacks. I expected Bailey Zappi to be at fault on, on more of these than he was not because I hate Bailey Zappi or I think he sucks. It's because he likes to hold on to the ball. It's his binky as a guy in his early twenties. Okay. And the thing is most of those sacks weren't his fault. And the last one was the worst of them all because I tweeted this picture and <laughs> muted Im- immediately because just like pointing out that the stats say Bailey Zappi has been worse than Mac Jones by EPA and completion percentage over expected, basically measuring how accurate are you in the function of the offense when you include EPA. Like he's been worse. That's fine. Whatever it is, they both stunk. But the offensive line let him down and Ezekiel Elliott on fourth and five with seven minutes left at the Chargers 30 points at Derwin James. Bailey Zappi points at Derwin James and Tyquan Thornton standing across from Derwin James points at him too and goes, he's going to blitz. And you know what happened? Derwin James did blitz and he, uh, he got the sack and Zeke missed it. And this was bad. This is very bad. And uh, you just, you, you can't have that. But the thing is Bailey Zappi got sacked on half of his snaps when he was pressured. And this is something we've talked about before. I think I have my, my notes. We're going to get to this later. Uh, and if not, oh, we are going to get to it because we're going to talk about Malik Cunningham. Um, it's just, it's just not good enough. Uh, on Wenu, Trent Brown, McDermott, just to be specific, all gave up sacks. Mentioned Ezekiel Elliott, Julius Peppers missed three tackles on defense. And you might be wondering why, Andrew, how the hell do you not get to the receivers when we're talking about the bad of last Sunday's six to nothing game? Well, here you are. We need to talk again, a segment we have done now five straight weeks in lieu of game balls because we don't hand out game balls after losses. I mean, what what else is there to say? Were you honestly surprised by these receivers? The worst receiving core in the league that is sinking this season as fast, if not a little bit less so than the quarterbacks? Kayshawn Booty not getting a second foot down against Philadelphia. Devontae Parker dropping that bomb at Vegas. Juju Smith-Schuster setting like he's playing volleyball with the commander's defense for a game-stealing interception for a loss in week nine. And now Tyquan Thornton. His turn to kneecap his teammates. Drops the ball late third quarter. Perfect bomb. Great play call. Great execution. Except for him at the end. It's great that he had the 39-yard run and the end round. Also set up by good play calling. Um, but this, this, is, this is horrendous. Thornton had zero catches. Juju had one for the fourth time this season. Jalen Rager had one. Okay, That Juju catch also, by the way, if you go back and see it. Don't. But I'll tell you. First half. Second and eleven. Patriots had some sort of negative play on first down, obviously. All of the offensive linemen cut block, which you just don't see on second and third and long. And all of the receivers run either little flare screens to the outside, like little hitches, basically, or curls over the middle. This is not a, we intend to convert right away. This was a, we just need a completion. And that's when he found Juju Smith-Schuster, who, of course, against deep, soft coverage, which you normally play on second and 11, gave up. Anyway, that was Juju's one catch. 
We need to talk. You need to sit. You need to be in timeout. Oh, and Juju and Devontae Parker were limited today, according to the Patriots' projected injury report, which means they didn't practice, but you got to send something out when you play Thursday night. What would NFL film say? Nothing. <laughs> I think our, our fictitious cameramen, the guys holding the mics, the producers, the voiceover guys have all called out sick. They say this sucks. Callahan, this is a stupid idea. Documentary is over. We have all suffered enough. And uh, it's a holiday, so I don't blame them. We will continue to do the segment. But I, I, I just, if, you, if you're NFL Films documenting a team season and it's this bad, and that game was the worst of them, at least offensively, I think. Actually, it was not the worst. They take that back. Billy Zappi did not pull the pin out of the grenade and then hold both parts like we saw Mac Jones do for time and again in the four times he's been benched. But you just you skip over this one, okay? Home cooking didn't work on a Thursday night football. That'll be more of a spectacle. You hope, you hope that we have points. Okay, I said we talk about Malik, and then we'll get to the mailbag because, again, we don't do anything on time or quickly here. This is about a larger point, um, Malik Cunningham, because disclaimer, I am not someone who believes he's a starting NFL quarterback. I do not believe he's practiced enough to start multiple games. I don't even know if he's going to be legitimate backup. But I do believe firmly, based on the state of this quarterback's room, with Mac Jones, who's unplayable, and Bailey Zappi, who gets applause from Bill Belichick today on the radio because he just didn't screw up as badly as the other guy. Okay, I believe that Malik warrants a look. And for two reasons. One, you've probably heard me say this before. He amplifies the only strength of this offense. This is a top five, top 10 rushing attack by EPA and success rate, staying on schedule, okay, over the last six, seven weeks. He does that, or he would do that as someone who's experienced running option. He played a ton in college, and he has four or five speed. That's enough. Number two is he would play under pressure. You would think in a way that would be helpful. And we saw this. From Billy Zappi. An improvement. He didn't throw the ball to the other team when he got a little bit of heat up the middle of the pocket. Something we've seen Mac Jones do time and time again. But he did, as I say, take a sack on 50% of the drives, which are just killers. If you are not an explosive offense, generally you do not recover from drives when you have a sack and you punt. What do the Patriots do? Well, they either punted or took a turnover on downs. That's how all of those drives went when Billy Zappi took a sack. And I'm not saying Malik Cunningham wouldn't take a sack. Okay, in the, the two-snap sample we have of him playing quarterback back at Vegas in week six, um, he took one sack on a, on a busted play. I just think he'd be able to scramble. Guys in the team have told me he'd be able to do something. He's dangerous. He can get outside. It's a totally different ballgame defending a quarterback like him, even if, granted, he certainly can't pass like Billy Zappi or Mac Jones, or we don't know that yet. But given the state of the offense, you have scored zero, seven, and six points over the last three weeks. This is the definition of insanity, continuing to roll with this offense in the way that they have. Malik would obviously be a big pivot. Now, again, I said this is going to be a larger point. Here it is. Someone in the Patriots organization years ago told me that Bill Belichick, as someone who is a supposed master of eliminating distractions, also has an unusual talent for making life more complicated and difficult for those around him. Just for the sake of it, often, okay? And in a small way, I think that's what this Malik situation is really about. Because all these weeks later, the more I think about it, I agree with friend of the podcast, Boston Sports Journal's Mike Giardi, about Malik Cunningham getting that backup spot 
week six against the Raiders as Mac Jones' only healthy available backup. Okay? Billy Zappi was actually healthy. They just didn't want him. And the reason Mike says that he was the only backup that day is because Bailey Zappi the week before, when the Patriots get whooped by the Saints, okay, and Mac Jones gets benched for the second time for throwing a pick, a pick six, and losing a fumble, says over a half dozen times to reporters, you can't turn the ball over. We lost because of turnovers. You can't turn the ball over. You can't turn the ball over. You can't turn the ball over. And Mike believes that Bill sat him that week to say, who the hell do you think you are? Bailey Zappi. Someone I just cut. Someone you think you can needle and be cute with the press? Okay, ask, ask Wes Welker how that went before a playoff game, how I, how I took that. Okay, so how about you sit this week as we play the Raiders defense, who aside from Max Crosby, let's be honest, is not, is not pressuring anyone much more than the shy kid at a school dance standing in the corner, okay? We'll take Malik for the week. Go ahead. See, you like being a, a healthy scratch there, Billy Zappi. Because that game, when we talk about Malik Cunningham, is the only data point that doesn't make any sense. What else do we know about Malik Cunningham? Okay. Undrafted rookie. was the highest paid undrafted rookie ever signed by the Patriots. He got cut. That's what happens to undrafted rookies. He comes back at the practice squad. That's where undrafted rookie receiver quarterbacks live. Then he gets this weird promotion in week six and then goes back to the practice squad basically until this week. And he gets elevated on Sunday. But for what? He didn't play. He expected to play. He confirmed to me personally there was a package of plays for him in the game plan. A game plan, by the way, that had a 67% run rate on first downs. Like, that was the plan. Give it to Reminder Stevenson. Give it to Ezekiel Elliott. And let Malik Cunningham run around. Oh, except we're not going to play him this week. And so if Bill really made this more complicated for the rest of the team at a point in time in which they were one and four with their season hanging by a thread going to Vegas, and not that it mattered in the end, Mac Jones didn't get hurt, played the whole game, except for when Malik played quarterback for three snaps, and it didn't go well, totally offer that up. Like, what are you doing here? What was the plan? What is the plan now? There is nothing that should prevent you from saying, we should try this. Like, if it was only in the red zone, I think you're just limiting yourself then, given we saw Malik Cunningham's best play from the preseason was outside the red zone, nearly throwing a touchdown pass. It's one preseason play. It's against four stringers. All of that, I get it. I'm on board. But this is a case that makes no sense. And there are so many of them in Foxborough compared to other NFL teams when the formula here should be simple. Find the best players and play them because we can't play these little games these mind games with our players in the middle of the worst loss season. Because what message does that send? Mind you, we've been talking about sending bad messages all year until they sat J.C. Jackson and cut Jack Jones, which they finally come around. But you got a lot of unhappy players in that locker room. You heard quotes from the start of this. And some of those same players see Malik Cunningham as a positive changeup. And when he gets promoted... And he practices and plays quarterback and says, I felt more like myself this week. I felt good. I was ready to go. And then you don't play him. What the hell is the point of any of this? Especially in a game when what you did instead led to this many points. A big fat goose egg. So let's be clear. This is <laughs> if we if we take away the Vegas game, there's a whole lot less conversation about this. Right? Undrafted rookie, 
plays a little quarterback, plays a little receiver. He's on the practice squad. It's fine. But because Bill does that, it's not some media-driven narrative. Media didn't give him any snaps in practice. They didn't build a package for him. They didn't elevate him, sign him to the 53-man roster for that game in Vegas. Okay? Play him at both positions in, in the summer and preseason, make the entire locker room, not the entire locker room, but most of the locker room, like and respect him. It wasn't on us. If anyone, it was on Bill. Okay. Mailbag. I'm fired up today. What's happening? Uh, this is going to continue, actually, because KJ has the first question. Sounds pointed at me. Not in a way that, obviously, all these questions are pointed at me. I got them on my Twitter feed. Anyway, KJ, quote, why do you, Mac supporters, ignore circumstances when Zappy plays, but circumstances define Max play no matter what? Well, my friend KJ, uh, I don't know if you read my Sunday notes, which was an exploration of how are we going to remember Mac Jones. If you didn't, I led off uh, talking about how human memory is impacted by just like the, the position of information. Okay, The things that you see first and last in a grocery list or the digits in a phone number that someone's relaying to you. You typically, we typically remember things that happen first and last, so forget about those in the middle. And my point was, Mac Jones' first season was great. This season has been a dumpster fire. And yet the one that we should probably remember most, if we really want to know what Mac Jones was about, was the one in the middle. Where, yeah, a lot of people I talked to, a lot of people at home listening to this, pinned that whole dysfunctional garbage 2022 season on coaching. But it was really the middle of what, Mac Jones is a guy who can flash against the Vikings on Thanksgiving and melts into a puddle against a sign of pressure like he's done basically since. And so I say this because there is a different social psychological phenomenon that explains this, and it's called the self-serving bias. Instead of order of information, it's a serial position. I forgot it right now because, of course, you forget the one time you bring up a, a piece of social psych. Uh, read the piece. This one, though, self-serving bias is basically the tendency to explain when good things happen for us, successes, it's because of our traits, what we do. I did that, not circumstances. And when we fail, it's typically circumstances. And it's the inverse, the opposite for other people. Okay, so like say you trip on the sidewalk. Oh, you, you're, you're too tired. I mean, you, you got no sleep last night. You're on your phone. But you see someone else trip on the sidewalk. <laughs> Look at that idiot. Okay. Oh, not that they were tired. And so when people identify with a player or a team, you take on that same self-serving bias. It's not the team's fault. It's not Mac's fault. It's the circumstances. And then they look at Zappy or whatever it might be. You get the point? Like you identify with the player, then you take on that same kind of attitude or approach. Like when you say, we, we lost, okay? We are not a bad team, okay? You're not on the team. We all know that. But that's how you speak. That's how we internalize it as fans. I do for the teams that I root for, which are not in the NFL. Go Huskies. Should have beaten Kansas last week. Anyway, that's what this is. As far as my support for Mac, I don't know what more I can do aside from being on television over two months ago and say, I'm out. He'll never be a good starting quarterback for the Patriots. And right many times since then, including uh, just about a month ago now, the era should be over. Like we can all see the circumstances and say, oh, maybe I was a little bit tired. Or I should just pay attention and not be a doof. Like, we, we can see it's a bad offense, a, a bad, the worst receiving core in the league, not a great coaching staff. And the quarterbacks, isolated from that environment, or walking down the street, are what they are. It's all bad. Anyway, that's enough psychology talk for today. Mace, quote, 
how can any team want Bill Belichick as a coach after seeing how awful they play under him? I think he's the GOAT, but we almost have a half decade of Bill being one of the worst coaches in the NFL uh, at this point. Assembling a staff and player development matters. It does matter. Here's the thing about any team wanting Bill Belichick. These teams are run by owners that you can take it from me or you can take it from people like Dominique Foxworth, who once sat across the table from these owners two CBA negotiations ago and very quickly learned staring across from Jerry Jones, and Jerry Richardson, and Robert Kraft. They're not that much smarter than me. They might be rich and successful, but a lot of them inherited their businesses or found fortunate circumstances. We're kind of doing the self-serving bias thing right now, but you can listen from Dominique or just take it from me. Or the best point of argument I could make is watch the horrendous press conference David Tepper gave just last week in Carolina, after Frank Wright got fired. That tells you everything you need to know about how some of these guys function. And so, when David Tepper fires Frank Reich after 11 games, his third coach he's fired in the middle of a season, this is the same guy who, if Bill Belichick walks into a room, the Panthers call him, Bill picks up and says, yeah, I'll come in. And they're, you know, they'll say, like, okay, we got to make me, Bill prove this. We're not just going to let him walk in and you know, take the job and write the contract and we'll sign it. Or it could be... Chicago, this could be Washington. Again, teams that are, are starving for relevance and something that even as bad as it's been for Belichick, you know, if we bring him in, we'll at least consider it. The first thing Belichick does is drops one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight Super Bowl rings on the table. And he sits there silently because he can endure awkward silences more than any human being I've heard of or you've probably seen. Okay, And you look at those rings and understand that he's won more of those than anyone else in the world. And then you talk about the last couple of years. He goes, well, look, this season was a season from hell. You work in this business long enough, you're going to have them. You're going to lose your best players like I did. Matt Judon, Christian Gonzalez, boom, both gone week four. Offensive tackles, both got hurt. Guys are signed up for agency. We drafted some. We had them ready to play. They're playing pretty well right now. Again, successful rushing offense. But... You know, quarterback can't get it together mentally. And I gave him plenty of chances. Had to bench him four times. And yeah, I get that I drafted all these guys. But you know what I didn't draft was Bill O'Brien. That was a hire, as Belichick will say, forced upon me by ownership. Lo and behold, it's much worse than the offense that I ran last year with Matt Patricia. And yeah, that season didn't go great. But we were in so many close games. We were one game away in 2022 for making the playoffs. And if you look at the year before, I just needed a one-year reset to get back to the playoffs. And I had the number one seed. In December, you know, you get a rookie quarterback and some bad luck. Like he explains everything away in a way that Tom Curran, friend of the podcast, told you last time he was on here. Bill is a guy who could shoot a 90 on the course and say, yeah, that could have been a could have been a 70. Big golf guy. I don't know if he would say that, but that's how you talk yourself into that job. You start with the rings, the career, and you explain away as we just did for people who like Mac versus Zappi. Circumstances are responsible for all of my failures. And for the successes, it's all me, the greatest coach of all time, who you want because you made the call. That's why I'm sitting here. And as I'm sitting here, you get the impression that I still know what I'm talking about. Because either you're someone who doesn't know how to make hires, as David Tepper and others have certainly proven, or you don't care. You say, we'll get you for three years. Bill gets a record. You get the, the residual effects of all that, all the positivity, the initial buy-in from fans. You get butts in the seats. And if it doesn't work out, you go, well, look. How could I go wrong hiring the greatest coach of all time? Because I will tell you this, 
national people are only just now coming around to the fact that it's that bad in Foxborough. Holy shit. Kid you not, Rich Eisen, NFL Network, before that Germany game. It's on Tom Kern's podcast. Saying the same thing. Being like, come on, this, this can't be serious. It's actually vice versa. Tom was on his show. Anyway, too much Tom Kern for this. But the point is, these owners can be talked into that. They might be talking themselves into it, making it very easy on Belichick. And if you have multiple bidders, again, Chicago, Carolina, Washington, certainly. Doesn't sound like any changes going to happen in Buffalo. Maybe Tampa Bay. I don't know. The Chargers. Other issues there. How much the ownership wants to spend on Belichick. He's not going to come chief. But they'd be willing to do that. Someone will be, if not more. All right, we're going to go a little quicker. Uh, Ashley, hi, Andrew. What is one underrated position on this team that you think we'll have to address this offseason? The obvious three are quarterback, offensive tackle, and wide receiver. Again, talking like we, you internalize it. You guys are the Patriots just as much as uh, Tyquan Thornton is, maybe unfortunately. I would say tight end um, because you got you got to stay on offense, right? Like, you know, say what you will about the defense and, and some depth, you know, depth is going to take some hits. But Gasicki's in a contract year. Hunter Henry's in a contract year. Farrell Brown, same deal. And Hunter Henry might come back, but what about his play has inspired you the last year and a half? And again, understanding the circumstances, we can isolate some good games from Hunter Henry, but it's not like he wows you in any one particular part of his game. He's a good, decent, all-around tight end. Mike Kosicki has just not been a good fit, and he's a highly uh, specialized player. And you had overlap immediately. Remember kind of questioning that at the time, him and Juju. So I, I would go with tight end, someone that can be a two-way player, the way the Patriots want to play offense. Most teams do, frankly. The guy who's a threat as a run blocker and a receiving tight end, you just don't have that in a way that defenses feel that kind of player. So, yeah, after you check off quarterback, receiver, offensive tackle, throw in a tight end. Uh, Fuad, uh, hey, Andrew, just want to say thanks for your interactions with us fans, of course. Quick question, do the Crafts have any football advisors outside of the Belichick tree whom they can turn to when it comes to finding the next head coach and general manager? And when do you think they will mention changes uh, that will happen? So I think I answered this actually for what, a couple of weeks ago. And my point was to say, look, we understand Belichick came from the Parcel Street. In between, they had Pete Carroll. So this is a, an ownership group that, granted, that was almost now 30 years ago when Pete Carroll came aboard, but is not afraid to go outside. And most importantly, has gained a ton of experience being in the league, interacting with other owners, coaches, Coaches that have come, that have gone, and learned about how the league works and what works best. I'm not saying they're going to nail the hire. This is this is basically just as hard as drafting a first-round quarterback. Okay, Not a great success rate at either of those positions. But while I can't give you the short list of the people that they would call, they have a massive network. Not only because they've been around, but people pick up when the crafts call. Like They are among the most respected ownership groups in all of sports. So if they want to get a hold of someone, and we know Jonathan Graff has been very involved at the MIT Sloan Sports Analytics Conference every single year, um, like that goes not just for traditional football people or ownership groups. Like they'll look at different numbers um, or numbers people and analytics to kind of build and make this decision. Again, my, I, I still, based on what I've heard, based on what I believe, Gerard Mayo is still a favorite to be the next Patriots head coach. I don't know what those odds are. We could be talking about minus 150 or plus 1,000. I'm going to need Mike Bynanski to come on back and explain exactly what I just said. But point being, they've got plenty of people that they can talk to and consult. And the, the upside of this season, again, going straight into the sewer, is that they have more time to make those calls 
and gather that information and obviously make a decision that will be coming up. Caleb, quote, hey, Andrew, I was wondering what if there is any intel on how the crafts feel right now. I find it interesting that we haven't seen much or heard from the crafts lately. It shouldn't surprise you. Um, are things going to get ugly after the season? Thanks. So uh, I do not have any intel here here for you. And I think the crafts are wise to to stay quiet on this. You will hear a lot more speculation. I mean, it's already started about how the season is going to end. And not even in, is Belichick going to leave? No, no, no. That, that's, that's an assumption now. That is baked into our expectations and our lives for the next couple of months. And certainly in January and February, whenever what's going to happen will happen. I'm not guaranteeing it, but I'm, I'm going to go by the same assumption. To answer the second question, um, yeah, it could get ugly. In a way that Belichick is under contract, he might not want to get traded, which is the primary reason to hold on to that contract is to get some sort of compensation for him for whatever team that might want to sign him. Um, and if Belichick doesn't want to be traded, because obviously that would less, less, lessen the pool of assets for that team and give him less to work with when he arrives, you're at a little bit of a stalemate. And so there's a staring contest of would Bill really want to be here for another year? And again, we, we just talked about this. Daryl Morey gets this in the NBA is like the king of <laughs> being comfortable when things are uncomfortable. Okay. Okay. Belichick has had that crown. He's not giving him that crown. That is his in American sports. Watch any press conference. It's him. So in a stare down with player agents or ownership, like he's going to be fine to dig his heels in where that leads next. I don't know, but you certainly would think that Kraft is applying a little bit of pressure to make it um, inhospitable for him to stay. Because it is in the best interest, as I see it at least, of this team and ownership group to hit the full reset button. And that doesn't involve Bill Belichick. So, yeah, I think it could get ugly. I don't know if it will. I don't know what Belichick wants. He might just say, yeah, get me out of here. I'll go. I don't care about the third round pick. I'll, you know, recoup it somehow with another trade with another dumb team. Okay. Again, this is a guy. Um, I guess I'm going to administer him again. Uh, Tom Curran came on. And if you want to know about ownership intel, was way ahead on the Bill O'Brien hire last year. Uh, and I think we'll be ahead of the curve this season. I'll leave it at that. John, quote, if Patriots willing to eat the contracts of Devontae Parker and Juju and cut ties with them in the offseason? If so, does that handcuff them cap-wise to bring in free agent receivers? No, it does not. They are, I think last time I checked, scheduled to have the third most cap space in the year. They were at number one earlier this season. And then the, the Bears made some sort of trade and leaped them. But the bottom line is, if anyone wants to make a cap argument to them, show them how much money the Patriots have spent this year and are scheduled to spend hard cash. Like this is from a team building perspective, like players care about guaranteed salary versus the total number, right? You as a fan should care about the cash spending, the actual money going out the door versus this hollow number, this figure on our books that can be changed or manipulated and moved around. The cap does matter. People saying cap is crap is just that they just love to rhyme on the radio. It's not true, but there's so much money available to be spent and so much cap room available to them. They should be able to spend and do whatever they want, which is really the bigger question is what do they want to actually spend or not? As far as Parker and Juju, I another question I gave a couple uh, weeks, maybe a month or two ago about this. It's easiest to trade them at the end of next summer or basically after June 1st. In those deals, you would probably have to attach a late round pick to get off of their salaries, at which point I don't know how the new head coach, assuming, again, there's going to be a new head coach or GM would feel. 
Juju is more problematic. It's over seven million. It might be nine if you just outright cut him. I think it's when it gets down to seven uh, if they did trade him. But who the hell wants that contract? I mean, when he signed, I'm looking at the numbers going, okay, he's here through 2024 because of the guarantees. Now, they could just take the dead money if they're willing to go for a full reset, but no one likes to waste money, even if you are swimming in it like the crafts are, um, because that's a lost investment. And obviously, the player's already lost, but you're either going to have to ship out more assets with him just to get them off your books or cut them and take the dead money as it is. And, and look, uh, there are a lot of teams that have been willing to do that in recent years for a lot more than just seven or nine million. Um, so together, it would be over 10 trading uh, or around 10 trading or cutting. Um, and if you really want to know, tweet at me, email me, whatever, and I will find those numbers uh, for you. Jordan, quote, sounds like the plan was to have Mayo as a head coach and keep Bill O'Brien as the offensive coordinator. How can they possibly still go forward with that plan? Do you see the crafts pivoting to a complete reset? I'm sure Bill O'Brien is a smart guy, but you cannot have the worst offense I've ever seen. That's a lot. It's the worst offense Jordan is it? Jordan's ever seen. Uh, and keep your job. I don't know if they'll still go with that plan. Um, I, I've said, again, I think Mayo is the favorite, but 2-15 and 15 is a whole lot different than 5-12, and 12, and I have no idea how in the hell they would get to 5-12 and 12 at this point going at Pittsburgh, home Kansas City, at Denver, at Buffalo, home Jets. So we're about to get there, and they might have to change their plans. And I've said other places that you hear things some, from people who are outside the building, so you don't give it as much weight. I'm not writing this. I'm not out reporting it, but I share with the folks who take care to listen on a podcast where I've just been talking to myself for 43 minutes that they hear things are a little different about Gerard this year, which the line of demarcation there is him getting a new contract. New responsibilities back in January. Is it because of that? Because of the season? His relationship with Bill? I don't know. But um, there are just a few more questions, I think. And part of it is the record. Part of those things that I've heard about him in the building. What does it mean? I don't know. But the only thing that matters is what the crafts think. Because in the same way that those owners I just told, told you about could get talked into Belichick, dropping the rings and making that whole spiel... If the Crafts can get talked into, Mayo's the right guy for the job, here's what I would do, and they've been talking all year, that's it. They make the hire. Nobody else. Uh, Aaron, uh, I teased your question at the beginning. Since the Patriots stink, am I legally allowed to look for another team? Uh, I didn't watch Sunday. Good for you. And would like, kidding, uh, to watch some good competitive games during December asking for a friend. It's a bummer, Aaron, that you asked this. as college football, the regular season at least, ended because – that would have been my number one suggestion is to pick a college football team, a product that is, you know, worse from a performance standpoint. But I think in the same way college basketball is versus the NBA, objectively more fun. Like you have more players, more teams, more playing styles, more drama, more backstories, more everything, the crowd, the student section, everything. But of course, that's out the window. We only have bowl games in the college football playoff left. So, yes, Aaron, if you want to pick a new team, it could be somewhere you've been. It could be a friend's team, just piggyback on for the last few games. You don't have to give up on the Patriots to pick another team. You just like make a little more time on Sundays. That's it. Hey, and more time for you at home watching football, uh, eating snacks and, and having a beverage of your choice. Cam, and we're closing in. Oh, God, we still have one, two, three, five, uh, three, five. Can you tell it's about time to end? Uh, five questions left. Cam, do you see them winning another game this season? Jets, question mark, does Caleb Williams make the most sense for them? Uh, a lot of questions in there. First of all, I do. It is the Jets who I wrote this for a Thanksgiving piece. 
Seven reasons why you can still be thankful as a Patriots fan in 2023. And one of those reasons is you're not the Jets. Because their offense, believe it or not, is the worst. This is according to The Athletic. Zach Rosenblatt, very good reporter for the Jets, uh, covering the Jets, tweeted today they have the worst offense by EPA per play the last 30 years. Since 1990. Over 30 years. The worst offense in the NFL. And that's because Zach Boyle, or Zach Boyle, uh, Tim Boyle, Zach Wilson, and now apparently teammates want Zach Wilson to take the job, and Zach Wilson isn't sure if he wants it. Imagine how bad that job has to be to be paid that much to go play a game, and you don't want to be that guy. Just be thankful you're not the Jets. Anyway, I think the Patriots, you beat them. We are all going to do the Spider-Man meme thing. Everyone all week is going to be saying, lose, 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 and the Patriots don't. Uh, but if they did, and that is Belichick's last game, this Patriots coach, whew. Uh, actually, I'll just go back and say my earlier answer should have been yes. Things can get ugly. It starts with the loss to the Jets. Anyway, uh, Emma asking, who do we start on Sunday? More we. That's what I'm talking about. Uh, it's going to be Billy Zappi. I, I, again, argue for Malik Cunningham. I think he should get some snaps. I don't think he should be your franchise quarterback or start the rest of the season. You got to involve him. Short week, though. Pittsburgh, it's going to be Billy Zappi. Mac Jones, tank commander. He's back. Are you on hashtag team tank or are you okay with them trying to win games the rest of the season? <sighs> this could be a longer conversation, but it's been a long episode. I, A, believe you cannot tank in the NFL in the way that you can with the NBA. I am on the record advocating three years ago the Patriots should tank. And you play the younger players, you sit the injured guys, the iffy guys, tell them this is how it's going to go. The locker room is too big. There are too many guys with... Uh, personal gain in their futures on the line with with tape that will either get them a job next year or a tryout or something that are going to go hard. And they should. There are only 17 games. This is it. But, yes, it's in the best interest of the Patriots to lose the rest of their games. Absolutely. So I am not okay with telling guys like Devon Gacha or Adrian Phillips or Trent Brown, yeah, especially guys in free agent years, to sit out. Because we could get this rookie quarterback who may or may not work out in a year. And you're not going to be here, but we need to get him so that we can play forward. And all the fans, rightfully so, are like, no, no, no. That's what we want. That's what we need. And I would agree from a team standpoint. But the people who need to carry out this tanking, the players, it's not as easy on a 12-person basketball team in the NBA. They say, nah, sit this one out. Hey, Dame Lillard, you know, go, go to Barbados. Like, just take just take April off. Like, that, not a big deal. You cannot do that. Players will not do that. And so I think it's impossible to tank in the way – that everyone conceives of this, that we've been exposed to in other sports. But of course, it's in the best interest of the Patriots to lose. Uh, they're just going to have to do it while trying to win. Two more. George. I think George is new. I think he's new because he introduces himself in the mailbag question. Hi, I'm George, and I'm a Patriots draft type sucker. I bought into the hype. What's the deal with Mapu? I thought he was going to be the next Patrick Chung. Now we can't stay on the field. Terrible coverage in the crossing tight end yesterday. My man George is watching this film. Does he have an NFL future? For the record, I can't say definitively whether uh, Marte Mapu blew that coverage that resulted in a 26-yard game for Gerald Everett in the first half. But him and Kyle Duggar were in man-to-man on the two tight ends and a, a twin set, two receivers on the opposite side. And it looked like Kyle Duggar was the force player against run. So he was just going to take whatever route broke out. He took that player. So did Marte Mapu. And that's why Gerald Everett went across the field into wide open space and looked like he blew it. Anyway, as far as Mapu, Belichick 
talked about this this morning. I think his answer was mostly honest about, look, he's playing behind Julius Peppers, Kyle Duggar, two of the better box safeties in the entire league. That's his position. I would counter and say, why isn't he bulking up and playing more linebacker like Mac Wilson? He's never going to play on the edge. He's not that big. But if he's a box safety, he's playing in the box where the linebackers do because that's where he's best. And I don't think he's gotten enough reps. We know he was in a non-contract jersey for most of the summer. And so at this point, when you're just feeding off of scraps and a few of them are rotten, like you're going to starve. You're not going to be your best. And that's what I think we've seen from Marte Mapa, who has seven defensive snaps the last three weeks, only three on Sunday, and only played one more after this catch that you mentioned, and I just hopefully kind of explained. So I think we'll see next year. Um, Kyle Duggar might be gone. Who knows? I'm not rooting for that either way. But this is a player. I said it this summer. He's playing really well, and we need to slow the hype train down because I don't see any playing time for him. And when you blow it with those three snaps, you're not going to get many more. But I do genuinely believe, and I talked to uh, Brian Belichick about this last week when we had uh, Zoom calls with the assistants, they believe he's a really good player. They think it's going to happen for him. It doesn't mean they're right, but there's belief still in there, even if the rest of us have to wait to see it. Last question. God bless me. Um, Oh, my God, I lied. Lawrence, sneak into the bottom. Anyway, Matt, first, are there specific individuals in the front office who are responsible uh, for evaluating talent on the offensive side of the ball, or is it ultimately Macro? Macro doesn't have the final say, but he's making the final pitch to Bill Belichick, who does have the final say. The way the front office is built, you have um, the lowest level are scouting assistants, grunt guys, come in, cut tape, make some scouting reports, really assemble stuff for people above you, including scouts, who typically live in different places across the country. They cover regions. This goes for most NFL teams. You have a West Coast scout. You have a Southeast scout. You have a Midwest scout. You have a Northeast scout. And so all of these guys are responsible for all the players in their regions. Now, you might have some that specialize in certain positions, but you you need to know everybody because you're covering a territory, not a position. And so that goes up the food chain to, you know, this is kind of the college side. I'm talking about, you know, assistant college scouting director, college scouting director, which is Cam Williams right now. Uh, Matt Groh used to have that job on the pro side. It's Steve Cargile. And so it's it's a collective failure. But if you're going to pin blame on one person, it's a guy who signs the free agents and drafts the rookies and makes the trades. And that's not Matt Groh. It's Bill Belichick. Okay, Lawrence, you snuck in on me here at the end. Um, boy, where's this? Oh, Lawrence basically wants to know if I'm ever going to blame Bill O'Brien. Um with the lack of talent, not being able to pick a staff, how much blame do you put in him? I put increasingly more every single week. And it's not in a way that I think Bill O'Brien has many outs or many options here. Like, how how would you coach this offense? Again, we just talked about this. is the worst receiving core in the league. You have the worst quarterback's room when healthy in the league. This is already a tiny playbook. What are you going to do? I've advocated for running the ball like you did at Buffalo a couple years ago. You can't do that every week. Anyway... The, the quibbles I have with O'Brien um, are going to be when you average five yards per carry from two tight end personnel, only running that 25, 24% of the time against the Chargers or not using more play action or not incorporating Malik Cunningham. And maybe that was entirely Bill Belichick's call. Maybe it was a combination. I don't know. So when you're the worst offense in the league and you're the offensive coordinator for that offense, I don't think it's a fair side-by-side comparison to last year's, given it's a harder schedule and worse talent. But, yeah, of course you're to blame. And he's taking the blame. So, yeah, yell and scream all you want at Bill O'Brien. I'm not going to stand in your way.
Okay. If you want to listen to more, I am going to stay in your way because I need to get off. <laughs> but uh, we are going to leave this here. Patriots play Thursday against Pittsburgh. We will not have a preview episode. I don't even know what kind of episode we're going to have next. But if you do have a second and you've hung around this long, please find us again on Apple, Spotify, ratings and reviews really, 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 really help. And if anything, just think of this as a holiday gift to me for maybe answering your mailbag questions because we need to keep growing. We're going to hit the offseason soon. We're going to have a ton more content like we have with Danny Kelly last week, scouting quarterbacks, talking for agents to sign, maybe trades, the new head coach, the new GM, all the stuff I'm hearing as we get closer to that stuff. It's going to stink. It's going to be a slog. We have five more games to go. We should appreciate the football while it's here. But in the process, if you can give back a little, I promise to keep giving you these episodes, which somehow was 54 minutes long after one of the worst, most boring games we've ever watched. Because that's what we do here in Pats Interference, brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. We are going to bring it every single week, so long as there's Patriots football to talk about. When that is, again, later this week. I don't know, but uh, you'll have to find out. So thank you again. Find us, Apple, Spotify, wherever you're listening, YouTube, drop us a comment. We would love nothing more. Thank you, and we'll see you soon.